your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined as always by Alex and Ryan. Before we get into the recap of the 4-1 win against Brentford in the FA Cup, we wanted to put a spotlight on an effort made by our fellow American Toffees in Baltimore. Um, We'll have the link in the description for this, but they're doing a fundraiser. Uh, On January 24th, three Baltimore City firefighters lost their lives responding to a fire in the city. Baltimore Toffees are doing a fundraiser for them as of today. It was their first get together for a match since the tragedy and they're asking for donations. We will put the link, as I said, in the description. So definitely if you've got any money to spare, be a great cause to go to the families of some first responders who do some great work and shout out to the Baltimore Toffees for keeping with the theme of the community that is so integral to Everton. And with that, we'll move on and discuss what was an enthralling match? Everton move into the hat of the fifth round of the FA Cup after a 4-1 victory at a rowdy Goodison Park. The Frank Lampard era is off to a rather brilliant start, I should say. And good feelings all around, perhaps some overreactions. We'll try to be somewhat measured in our responses today. But I'll just say this. We're going to Wembley, and I'll throw it to Alex for his instant match reaction. That is certainly how it feels compared to how we've uh, how we've been feeling the last handful of months. It was a really exciting win. It was great. We saw right off the bat that we were playing a much more fluid and exciting um, brand of football than we have been in the past. Four goals in a match. It's been a while since we've had that. That's also made for good viewing. Um, this was a great win to start off Frank Lampard's tenure, and it was an important win as well. So only up from I here. I called it enthralling like you did. That was a fascinating word choice. I, I don't recall that being in script, but I really enjoyed <laughs> it. Um, now, look, yes, there are some overreactions, of course, but that's, you know, how this game is. It's emotional for certain people, and maybe I'm the, the, the uh, podcast pragmatist, but to be perfectly honest, it was refreshing. And I think that's fair. You know, it, it's... Um, and I think it was very obvious that this style of play suits certain players, most of the players in this team, better. And it was just nice to have a, a pretty convincing win, I thought. And, and it was an entertaining game for the most part. And it's just, it's such a breath, of, for me personally, it's such a breath of fresh air, just every aspect about it from the previous regime. So, and I think a lot of people probably feel the same way. Absolutely, absolutely. And we did not have uh, any correct score predictions on the eh, Discord. People were no, that's rather not what measured. I well, okay, we'll give uh, we'll give Penny like the Penny Blue, our favorite moderator, Ethan Xander. He gets like a, a teeny tiny crumb of credit for predicting at twelve oh one, probably what five six minutes after the final whistle that we would win four one. Then of course EFC Jonesy, uh, our resident UK uh, member of the Discord, said it was ridiculous. We'll never win by three goals, and yet we did. It seemed would have seemed inconceivable just a few short weeks ago, and yet here we are into the fifth round. And with that, let's talk a little bit about the lineups for both teams. We'll start with Brentford um, coming in maybe a little cold in terms of form. They've got some injuries, but Ryan, walk us through their typical setup and, and what they what you saw from them today. Yeah, they're not playing very well. They've lost their last four uh, despite playing well against Manchester United with Thomas Frank making all his comments about how they dominated them and didn't win. But I, I, I feel them. They did look pretty good. 
Uh, they've lost seven out of their last nine, so they're not looking great. It's three, five, two every week for them, man. That's pretty much what it is. Um, they tend to play a little bit higher line. Um, and they pressure, but it's not kind of outrageous, you know, Red Bull craziness pressure. They pick off a lot of passes. They're pretty tough to play through. And I thought we did a good job doing that today. Um, I think they lead the league in interceptions. If not first, I think they're second. But anyway, a couple changes. Pinnock normally plays in the back. Sorensen was in for him. Um, Umbuemo did not play, and he's one of their best players as an attacking guy, so that's helpful. Canos has been playing kind of wide. He was up top today. It was a little different. Jensen in for Baptiste. They switch on and off. The biggest thing for them, the biggest story is uh, David Raya was back in goal for them, and he had started the season and got hurt, was very good, and has been good most of the season. Lasso came in and was just an absolute disaster the last two games, which is kind of funny. Uh, or pardon me, Fernandez was really good before. And so, yeah, they've had some injuries in goal, so that's kind of hard. But look, their danger guy is Tony, um, same player that Rafa gave up and sold at Newcastle while we're taking shots at him, um, amongst other younger players. Jensen's pretty creative, too. Uh, he's decent on set pieces. But look, if there's a time to play these guys, this is it. You know, they're a decent team. They're solid, but not been playing the best football recently although we haven't really but i think there are a lot of questions as to what we were going to come up with certainly a lot of dialogue before the match and i think the setup was a little surprising i think yeah it was i mean for everton obviously everyone is super excited to see how frank's going to line up but then we had the questions you know will this be indicative of what we'll see in the future because it is a cup match we we have some key injuries for sure um but we ended up seeing a 3-4-3 in possession at least right um so we had Holgate, Keen, Godfrey on the back line, which not necessarily surprising because Mina was traveling internationally with Colombia. Um, Coleman and Mikalinko on the outside. We had our midfield pairing of Alan and Gomez. That's going to be a big talking point later um, because, you know, on the show, we have we have constantly um, begrudged the, the two-man central midfield and especially those two as a combination specifically. And then we had a front three of Gordon, Richarlison, Gray. Um, nothing crazy with that front three and probably what we expected based on it's a strong lineup, though. I mean, I think that's uh, a real is. debate. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, is that a little much for a cup match? I mean, I, I just we have. I think it's important to know we have such a big match on Tuesday against one of those relegation teams. We win that thing. We're seven points clear of relegation with more than half the season gone. I mean, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Should should Richarlison, Alon, should all those guys be playing, knowing we're going to need them on Tuesday? Personally, I'm fine with going for it in the cup. Obviously, you know, looking ahead for the match. I would have liked to maybe see someone like Nathan Patterson get a run in rather than continuing to trot out Seamus Coleman, who is obviously uh, not fit to be playing week in, week out, much less with a three-day turnaround, you know, struggles for endurance. So I think a lot of people were maybe expecting to see some of the younger kids come in, maybe Lewis Dobbin even off the back of his new contract. Um, but Frank wanting to get off to a really strong start and therefore, I don't really have too much of an issue with going for it in the with a strong lineup. You want to win. You want to impose yourself on the game and really just, again, kind of get I know this has been a debate, but get the momentum going and get things off to the right start and not falter out of the gate. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much my sentiments is, you know, the the thought that maybe we shouldn't be starting everyone because we have a, a Premier League match in three days. And with the context Ryan mentioned is definitely important. But we have a new manager, and what's even more important than having a couple guys tired on on Tuesday 
is the fact that Frank Lampard starts off in a really positive way because especially the fact that we were at home at Goodison Park. You know, I really wanted to see Patterson, um, you know, start or come off the bench, which never materialized, which is, you know, unfortunate. My thought process is, how would Frank Lampard look if his first game, you know, he sat the captain? You know, is it is it possibly deserved based on performance? Sure. Is the optic to the team? The conversation the fans, on the Discord I don't we know. had leading up to this, I thought was really good. Um, I, I still maintain. So for my way of looking at it is I, I don't think it was a good idea. Um, I think it was risky. And I, I think my issue is this. If playing a stronger lineup improves our chances from like 0.025% to 0.05% from winning the FA Cup, basically very marginally, because I don't think we have a chance of winning the FA Cup at all, um, is that worth the difference in the reduction in the chance of winning on Tuesday and even throughout the the year? I mean, uh, so injuries obviously are a concern, and that's what we talked about. But for, for me, the biggest thing is new manager. I want us ready to go on Tuesday. I don't like the idea if someone played 89 minutes today. They're not going to be right back in training tomorrow, you know, doing hard training work and working on things. It's going to be a recovery day. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll implement the tactical game plan tomorrow. And that that's that's no matter. But I, I think it's a big risk. I, I just and I don't know how much I buy into this momentum thing carrying on from an FA Cup match versus the league match. I, I just think I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but a good game plan with everyone scripted and on the same page on that game plan and well-prepared and good to go, I think creates its own momentum. I think it was very risky. I was not a fan of it. I, I almost, I don't want to say punt on the FA cup, but I would have done everything I possibly could to maximize my chance of beating Newcastle and not cared as much about the cup. That was my take. Farhad Mashiri should have offered Frank a uh, hundred thousand pounds to, uh, to throw the FA cup game. Little, well, little, and, uh, nice. but, but seriously, my other question is when are Patterson or Bameen going to ever play? And that's where I take the issue is like, if you're not going to give Gabamin the chance to play in this match, then I find it extremely unlikely that he's going to play the remainder of the season. Unless, unless in his defense, I mean, because we were limited in terms of personnel, we couldn't put together many midfielders. He felt compared, compelled to play two central midfielders rather than a three. Because I think we expect Frank to play four three three or four two three one. If that's the case, then maybe Bameen is kind of a guy off the bench, or because we know of a bunch of fixtures at some point, especially with some of the rescheduling, maybe he thinks he'll have time. I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's a tough debate. I, I would have gone with a weaker lineup and not cared as much about winning the game. But uh, you know, there was a lot of momentum created. I guess today the fans are behind it, and I'm not local, so maybe that matters. Um, I think what was most intriguing, though, the the tactical setup, like you could play any sort of formation. It doesn't really matter. Alex was even making this point off off the pod. You know, it's it's the same two man midfield. Why did it why did it look so different? Because when you watch the game play out, Brentford had their higher line for sure. Um, It was a big change for us. The difference was almost I mean, just keeping the ball. It was amazing how focused we were on getting Andre and Alon the ball. In fact, Gomes had 97 touches. Alon had 77. No one had more than 65. Is that the difference? Just possession and then going down the middle rather than pushing everything out wide? What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it was a combination of all of those things. I think first and foremost, you're looking to build out of the back instead of just hoofing it to the front lines every single time. We saw in the week the training video that dropped. Clearly, there was work going on, working on actually figuring out ways to get the ball from the defense into the midfield, whereas Rafa Benitez seemed to really just completely object to that even being a possibility and almost ignore the midfield at times. And you saw the control that we were able to maintain over the midfield with that added possession rather than sitting back with 30% of 
the ball and letting teams just kind of pick us apart, pick us to pieces. Instead, we were able to spray the ball around using the midfield as a true focal point to string everything together. And I thought we did it to great effect. I think both those two are very well equipped to do that, too. They're exactly. both excellent passers. Andre in a good day can really carry the ball. And I think we are concerned about them defensively, and I still am. But, I mean, there are two things. When you keep the ball, you can keep and dictate the organization. You know what I mean? And I think that helped us keep defensive shape. It's like what Pep does. You know, I mean, he he they don't really release an attack until they're in the right position to do that. I mean, that's kind of the way he uses possession. It's not as much an attacking tool. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think it was night and day for sure. I think the other thing is, too, this is a greater conversation I wasn't really planning on getting into, but I partially think Rafa's tactics are a little bit archaic. And the reason why I say that is people are so much better prepared now. Teams are better. I mean, the talent that is in flow into the Premier League the last couple of years, the coaches are from everywhere now. I mean, the best and the brightest are all in there. And the bottom line is, no matter what you do, you got to make changes. You got to adjust every week. Rafa doing the same counter like defensive shape to try and trap people in the same places was too predictable and it was easy to play around and he was probably so concerned about the transfer window and all this other stuff that he lost his edge in that regard i think and but but i mean look the shape was better right did we see a big gap between the center halves and the the mid and the center backs helped by being more aggressive but the gap wasn't really there too much right we didn't see the same problems for sure yeah no and you know something i noticed pretty early on too in terms of the game plan with how we positioned ourselves out of, you know, out of possession, but also kind of how we decided to press. And it was interesting to note that, you know, the forwards, the three forwards really tuck in and kind of block the ball at, at the central midfield location. But then you also saw Alan and Gomez kind of stepping up in certain situations too. So we forced the ball out wide, but we're playing, you know, three center backs or, or five at the back, if, you know, if they get back in time. And you think, okay, that might, you know, that, that should work out. We didn't see it work out all the time under Rafa in the, in the same way. Although, you know, it ended up being poor execution. Um, But this time around, as you mentioned, with the aggressiveness of the center backs, it felt like they were handling situations, but the others were aware of where they were, what they were going to do. It looked, it just literally looked a lot more coordinated. I do think, Ryan, you hit the nail on the head in terms of predictability has been the downfall of not just our previous manager, who we should stop trying to reference by name as much as possible. I'll just throw that out there for you guys. But Predictability was the downfall of Silva, and to some extent, the downfall of Roberto Martinez, as well as you know the inability to organize a defense. Thomas Frank, in terms of a scouting report, I mean, we talked about Frank's tactics. Did we talk at all about a three-four-three and planning for that? Did he? Did they expect that? So, I think there's something to be said for just the way that we set up. I don't think they saw it coming, and I don't think they really were able to kind of react on the spot and alter their tactics in a way to to dismantle it effectively. No, and I think they had a little better way to attack us when they started the second half, but it didn't matter. So we'll get into that in a second. We get into the flow of it. But yeah, look at the balance, too. 34% down the left, 38 the right, 28 down the middle. I mean, every game, it seems like it's all wide spaces. All year it's been when we put that same graphic up there. What I liked, and maybe maybe Brentford shape kind of played into it. We were never, I thought, vertically extended too much, you know, so they couldn't really hit us in transition. But part of that is the way they play. Their higher line probably helped us a little bit. They didn't really suck us in when we had it trying to, because if you're going to counter really quickly, everyone still has to move together. And we didn't really have to do that as much because we were trying to play the ball over the top, especially in the second half. You know, the shots were all over the place. There was nothing really remarkable from where the chances come. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting into the match, really, uh, I I would think it was very obvious from the get go we were going to play differently. I'm sure Frank had some concerns. It's a big transition, but it seemed like 
it's probably easier for those two, Andre and Alon, to play that way anyway. So it was almost like second nature, you know, and I, I think that's probably the most important aspect of it. Most of these players should be playing in a possession-based, pressure-based uh, uh, setup. And I think it was very obvious it was a lot more natural for other people. Um, and right from the bat, I thought we were the more dangerous team. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, in the eighth minute, we had some just the interchanges in passing and the creative ideas that were on display. You could tell that it felt like I put out a tweet. I mean, we were dribbling, we were pressing. It felt like water in the desert. It was like it was just so refreshing in every sense. Well, yeah, well, eighth minute yeah. we had. Go ahead. Except for the buzz kill that we had in the thirteenth. We'll get to that. Right. In a second. Exactly. And so. Godfrey shortly before that had had a moment where he broke forward and was able to kind of drive the ball into the attack. But then in the 13th minute, he goes down, clutching his knee, his hamstring. Frank Lampard said after the game, it was in fact his hamstring from Phil Kirkbride of the Echo said that he left Goodison Park on crutches. Really bad sign and a really terrible injury. And to Ryan's point earlier, this is the risk you run with putting out a strong team in a cup match. This was always a distinct possibility. And now we've got a team of guys with paper hamstrings and who knows how long this could take for Ben Godfrey to return. He's a good player. Uh, he's not had the best season, but he gives him some stuff in the back that we don't really naturally you know, have. I think it's a certain level of athleticism. And I think m most people wouldn't argue that him and Yeri together are our best two. Yeri's injury prone. But I will say this, if there's ever a position from a sheer numerical standpoint, we could afford to lose. And we have five center halves. I mean, it's not... Not the end of the world. Um, but I will say this in this particular match, Mina coming in probably made a bigger difference in terms of playing out of the back. He is so good with the ball and he almost gave us kind of that third guy that can be on the ball and be very reliable on it. You just didn't want to risk him in a match like this. And even after that, we were generating chances, but I mean, this isn't bad luck. I mean, this is, this is what happens. This is the risk you took and it was realized now, you know, maybe it's a little bit just Everton, but. It's certainly not an unpredictable, you know, thing that could happen. And that's why some people, oh, it's just bad. Well, that was a real risk and, you know, it's what happens. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, I also think I, I still have to go back to the point where, you know, I feel that Frank Lambard has to start strong. I, I genuinely believe that, especially with like the players. He's talking about how their, their confidence takes a hit, all this other good stuff. Oh, great. Another, you know, we play a backup squad or, you know, half starters, half not. We lose the match or go 0-1, and then everyone's like, ah, oh, great. Here we go again. Maybe not the end of the world, but I think I for think him, for the, fan for the players, it's more important to get a win. And, and, and like the frequency of injuries well, during a match, I mean, it's not it, it's not that high. For a long-term or like unless you're injury, Everton. it's not that high. Unless it's I know Everton, I'm saying that and it feels like we're getting one every single match. I, know, but I just feel like I, fans I mean, got to get over that. But I see I see both of your, your points, and I think to me it's like, yeah, you want to hedge your risk as much as possible, but you also can't make decisions purely based on like assuming that guys might get hurt because that can prevent you from making some decisions that, you know, maybe for the benefit of the team, though, of course this will hurt and he likely would have started against Newcastle and made a big impact, but we'll see what the diagnosis is. I think they, Frank Lampard said in his post-match interview, they're going to let it rest for a couple of days and he'll go in for a scan and hopefully it's not too severe, but he did go down pretty that quickly. Sound that doesn't, no, it doesn't. Sound good. And he took this, he took the handball. That's how bad it was is he had the ball at his feet and he went down and just touched it to kill the play because <laughs> he couldn't even kick it out of bounds or anything like that. So really bad sign. But regardless, we truck on with Mina coming in as the substitute in the 16th minute. We had a gray gets a chance 
Someone threw a ball on the pitch on that one. That was a little bit strange. I don't know where that even came from. Um, and then the 20th, a bit of a scary moment, Coleman with a back pass to Jordan Pickford, who tries to use his left foot, strong left foot, and kind of whiffs on it or doesn't get a good hit, and it almost like a, gives Brentford a golden chance. Yeah, it was a cross. It was so weird. Yeah, that was, like was across his body, that was less than ideal. Like, like, what was that? Up to that so point, strange, Brentford right? was just odd. Yeah, and like Brentford were not threatening to that point. So it was all that was that was the Everton that moment, in my opinion. But then a couple of minutes later, right? So at that point, like we had saw we were building up play, you know, the attacking players were definitely feeling out the movement, same with the midfield. Um, but you know, in the twenty-fourth minute, we had a really nice um flowing passing sequence, which is the one in which, you know, it, it ended up being Gordon took the the shot outside the box on his left and it barely skimmed the top. But I mean we had Mina, Coleman, Alan, Gordon all involved in the play. Um you know, Richie was in the middle as well. Coleman was making a run on the right. So a lot of options. And that, I think, epitomized what Frank was trying to do with the team and how we were looking to build up it massively and play moving forward that through type the of movement and fluidity. It was so good to see. Um, not to mention, though, right afterwards, Andre finally made his Andre moment where he gets his yellow, right, yellow. But but it brings up to the point, you know, Alon was kind of trying to hatchet the guy and keep him down. Um, he got by him and then Andre overcommitted and he got by him and, and Andre took him down for the yellow. But the funny part was, is I was expecting that all match. And now Andre did have a couple other moments like that. But the point is, it didn't happen as often. And I think it was just simply because the overall positioning of the team, we weren't caught out very often because we had the ball most of the time, as well as the center halves. It's one thing to have three center halves to sit back, but we we weren't. They were being a little more aggressive. They, they felt more confident. And I think it made a big difference. And notice they stayed in the middle for the most part. It wasn't a lawn rushing from the left defensive mid out to the right, leaving that gap, you know, behind him and stuff. And I mean, you saw that moment, but you didn't think it was illustrative of a greater problem. And that I thought was the best part about it. I completely agree. And you look at the average shape. I mean, we did maintain a really strong cohesive shape throughout the match and though there were moments when those guys got caught out because they were trying to do a lot i think you're right ryan that dare i say it the gap was closed at least for this one match uh for the vast majority of it and that being one of our biggest problems thus far this season not being an issue at least at the start is incredibly encouraging um, it's yeah, also then we rolling though at this point, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, we just started rolling and you saw that and you're like, oh wait, we're not going to have that major issue and we're getting on the ball and we started to build momentum. We did. I mean, Damari Gray in the 26 had a nutmeg looking for Richarlison, which was quality 29th. There was another, uh, nice little buildup play. Alon involved Damari Gray, Mikolenko even getting forward, lays it off to Andre who inept as he may be typically in the final third put some sting on the keeper's hands with a shot from distance and wins us a corner wait 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 put some sting on it what the announcer said was it picked up a bit of speed as it headed towards the goalkeeper um (laughs) i i could be wrong but i don't think that's physically possible um but it was a great observation one of many we'll get to some other ones later i really enjoyed the announcers today how did you all feel inertia baby love it Oh my God, it's ridiculous. So frustrating about that. But <laughs> but that corner's big, right? I mean, that was really a nice combination. Andre cracks one pretty well. But the thing is, you're like, oh, corner early. That's good because we didn't have, I think that was our only corner in the first half. But you're like, you know, we never score in corners anyway, right? We're 19th in the whole Premier League. We've only scored twice in corners, right? So what happens? Well, 31st minute, Everton Football Club are up 1-0 at Goodison Park, and it is absolutely rocking. I know everyone has seen the video of Frank Lampard celebrating at that goal. Plenty of comments. Rafa could never. <laughs> Um, 
The interesting thing about this was on the corner, Damari Gray was taking the corner. That's a bit of a change from Gordon um, in past matches. Uh, probably tired of seeing him swing it out before it reaches the goal. Um, but otherwise, you know, Yeri Mina, beast mode, towering above the defender, nothing like it. Perfect header. Exciting to see him, you know, make such a big impact off the bench already. And it's what do you think was back. going through Rico Henry's head as, as besides Yeri Mina, uh, going through his head when the ball goes up? It's a perfect service. He's standing still and he looks over him and he's got big old Yeri flying. I mean, he had to just be like, this is going to suck. <laughs> Yeah, unenviable position for him. He just gets towered over. And finally, 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 we see some capability from Everton that we all know that they possess and have shown last season finally reemerge. We score off a corner. We take the lead. We don't go behind in the first half. We don't make things more difficult for ourselves. And then just a minute later, off the back of that, Goodison's rocking. Richarlison, another decent play of buildup. And Richarlison gets a... We'll, we'll say he flubbed this one. It was a tough volley. He didn't really drop for him, but he really skied it. Unfortunate. Uh, and then towards the end of this first half, I think Brentford maybe started to gain a little bit of momentum. They had a couple of chances. Yeah, that, that sequence kind of in the 38th where we got a little passive on defense. Andre got played behind a little around the 18. Uh, it's kind of a square ball to, to Sergio Canos and he blasted it kind of high. It wasn't the best shot. It kind of went right to pick, but that was a really dangerous chance. And right off the corner, it was one where, you know, Pickford kind of misjudged it. I mean, it did look like the wind was blowing kind of towards that side, but of course he kind of readjusted and knocked the ball out. I mean, the announcer though, again, very astute observation, declaring he just misjudged the ball into the wind. He didn't think he got touched. And then you saw in replay and he absolutely got shoved into the goal. He got bundled. How do you not? You've got monitors on you where you're doing this game, buddy. I just I couldn't believe that. But but really, other than that, I mean, I, I Brentford really wasn't dangerous and we had gotten halftime and I thought we we deserved the lead for sure. I mean, the numbers look good at halftime for sure. And, and I think everyone was encouraged by by the patterns of play and the way we were playing. Yeah, I mean, so we were eight to two in shots, 54.4 percent oh, possession at halftime. Wow. What a change. It was great to see. Brentford had four corners, though only Everton only had one, but we made it count. I thought we were pretty decent, like not necessarily dangerous, but you could tell like the players were working into, you know, their spacing, how they could combine based on how Brentford were kind of packing it in, just feeling out, you know, breaking down the low block. They're hard that, to break in, down you know, Alex, in that sort of way. I mean, but, that, that's your um, point, right? They're not easy to break down. I mean, you saw several times where, you know, like Andre tried to try to throw ball at one point that didn't get through. We tried to chip or two that didn't. They're a good organized team. There's no shame in not being able to break through. But what was really encouraging to me is the dribbling. You know, we were really carrying the ball with confidence. And I think that's playing to the strengths of this team. Whereas, you know, it's a total no-no in the previous regime. It was more release the ball immediately. So some of the guys that were a little better kind of dwelling on and advancing it together as a team with the ball weren't really effective in that setup, but they were today. Andre... Andre Gomes and, and Damari Gray, especially, I thought, in the first half, looked dangerous carrying the ball. Yeah, they did. I mean, Damari Gray, three for four in dribbles. Andre, three for three. And I think we had 12. I, I tweeted it out. Who scored had him as 15 attempted dribbles in the first half? It was re rescinded or revised to 12. But that is an incredible difference, especially you look at a player. The, the style that Rafa, Rafa did not want guys doing this in any way, shape, or form. It clearly is apparent that Lampard has encouraged that from the squad and taking guys on and beating a man opens things up so successfully for us that it's incredible that it was discouraged by the old manager. 
but you could tell the players were really enjoying having that freedom to go and take guys on yet again. And in pressure too, I think a defense too. Like you know what I mean? The, yeah, and you the know, being, the, having the freedom to run at someone and not feeling so restrained, I think was was obvious too. Yeah, and I th- I, something I noticed, you know, throughout the match, but even in the first half, was the fact that you know, even if we lost possession and Brentford tried to counter, very rarely was it successful. I felt like our defensive line, you know, starting in the first half, obviously even better in the second half, did a really good job of winning. You know, essentially the ball played out. And that allowed us a lot of, you know, recycling possession um, and kept the ball. Moving. Yeah, when the ball went in the air, really we wanted our back, strengths as You know well. what I mean? Right away. And and it just goes to show you, though, Alex, you're in better position when you have the ball. You know, you, you have the ability, especially in the back. If your guys in front of the defensive players are carrying the ball and you have it, that gives the defense time to be set up to support as well as defend at the counter. And so, you know, we got to halftime. I think everyone was feeling pretty good. You know, you wanted to see a score a few more and and make this one easy. Um Donnie Van de Beek and Deli Ali are unveiled as Everton players at halftime. That was kind of good. Uh, Donnie Van de Beek, by the way, that jacket and scarf combo. Sharp. Looking Real sharp. sharp. Yeah, really good. So I thought that was encouraging and probably gave the fans a little bit of lift. And it was interesting to see how they would come out the second half. I thought we came out well. They came out well, too. They definitely had a better idea of how to kind of attack that left side. But um it just seemed from the get-go, they, they were almost a little more aggressive, I thought, in the way they were playing their back line even higher. And um, it was just nice to see us have composure with the ball. And, you know, we gave the ball away a couple times, but then in the 48th man, the dam broke open. Finally, we got one over the top. And this is a really interesting, interesting goal. But, I mean, this was such a difference maker. You go 2-0 at 48th minute, makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, and it's Alon who makes the unbelievable pass from deep over the top to Richarlison, but it comes off the back of some really, again, clever build-up play. Starts with Michael Keane. The, both midfielders, Andre and Alon, making themselves available. Alon backing up into the space, occupying those dangerous areas. They don't pressure quite enough. Keane's able to pass it into Allen. Richarlison, brilliantly timed run in between the two center halves and gets in behind. And unlike the first half volley, which he skied over, he places this one really neatly into the back of the net. And again, just really encouraging to see us start the half so authoritatively and prevent Brentford from, or or at least making things much more difficult for Brentford uh, to even salvage anything from this match. I think there's a lesson there for you, younger, future, aspiring center forwards. If you're going to play a line like that, you know, Richarlison started that play in an offside position, so they can't see him. He's behind him. So, you know, the fact that he ran forward into in between the lines and it was a tight line. Um, they had to jump with him and he could change directions and, and move so much faster than they could. But really the play here is the Elon pass. I mean, that left footed over the top side spin Raya makes a mistake here. I think he's a little bit off his line. His angles bad, but, um, you know, he's got to play as a sweeper keeper if you're going to play that line. So he's got to come off and Richie just buried it. I mean, that was just the second you saw that. I mean, Alon, you saw the quality. We used to talk about him all the time about his ability to create more from deep. And we haven't seen that much of it. Man, it was just really nice to see. Although, honestly, right off the kick, Brentford came down and almost scored, which would have been the most Everton thing ever, but didn't. I mean... That, that was ridiculous, by the way. It was Amino with this crazy slide and Tony dances around him and plays it right to the six and, and, and Roseleff misses. I don't know how he missed. And, and you felt like Brentford had a good idea what they were doing. We just kind of got him and beat him to the punch to get the goal. But sure enough, in the 52nd, you know, Brentford get a penalty. And I mean, I saw this coming because they tried to play down the left a couple times and Coleman was struggling, but 
there are a lot of bad plays on here. Mikalinko keeps the player on, which was problematic. I thought the shape was decent today, but you know, it's hard if, if you're a five man back line to keep everyone in line. Um, to your point earlier, Alex, the defensive line was moving up at times and that was a good thing, but this time Mikalinko didn't get the message, but I'll tell you what, man, this is this a penalty for you guys? Because pick doesn't reach forward. He's got his arms kind of straight out from him, but not towards the player. I don't know how much contact there. I just, I hate this call in general. The fact that he plays the ball past him. There's no way he's getting this ball. I, I mean, certainly not that much contact enough for him to fall over. I don't know. James thought Stonewall pen for me. I'm not going to lie. Oh. If that goes against us or we don't get that call, we're absolutely livid. I understand your point about, you know, he plays it beyond him and he's really at that point, not going to try to actually score. He's just trying to make sure Pickford can't touch it, but he clears him out. Players are going to go down easily in that situation. Um, you can't miss the ball in that case. If he, if he gets the ball first and goes through the man, which we've seen, you know, called as a penalty anyway, this season on multiple occasions in the Premier League, I still think if you don't get the ball, you come off your line, you go to ground, it's a penalty. I just, I, I was not surprised at all that it was called. It was, of course, poor to concede a penalty in that situation when we have all the momentum and we give them a lifeline back into the game. But I don't, I don't disagree with the call, though I disagreed with many of Oliver's calls on the day. So, so here's what I will say. I think this one could go either way in terms of the call. So if, if that says anything, um, I also agree, like the way that he knocked the ball out before Pickford could get it, he, he was never going to get there. I also think based based on the camera footage I saw, it looked like essentially Pickford like scratched yeah, that, his big toe. Yeah. Seriously, like I like there's no good I didn't angle. Even see a, like I did not see more than like two fingers. Did you on see his, a good angle his, at all? Like I, I feel like we didn't get to see. I mean, was there contact or not? <clears throat> no, we just got it from the back. No, we just got it from the back. But uh, overarching point is, yes, there's a tiny bit of contact. I personally just don't feel like it's enough for him to go down. And in that instance, although it looks, you know, Pickford's diving for him. It doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, anything else, shoulder to shoulder. If you're shoulder to shoulder running in the box and someone trips up, you know, there's contact. But just because there's contact and someone falls, so any, contact in the box it's a penalty. Get, any contact in the box is going to well, be called. All right. Hold on. So hold on. So, what? So my, my only concern about this is it's one thing if you play the ball in a position where you can score. And the goalie impedes your progress towards that ball. What my issue is, he plays it off to the left. And then I don't know if Pickford, I mean, again, I need to see a, a real angle on it. I'm not so sure Pickford was in between him and where the ball was. It looked like Pick was pretty flat and he went down. Any That's my only issue. Yes, I agree with you. Even if he can't get to the ball, if the goalie then impedes his ability to get to it, then yeah, I think it's, a, I, I don't know. It'd be nice to get a good freaking angle on it though. I, I agree there. My thing is, I mean, it, he doesn't even have to really be like in a position to score. I mean, we saw Anthony Gordon get given a penalty just a few weeks ago where he was back to goal. If you're in the 18, contact's made, and you're not playing the ball, then it's a penalty for me. I think it's, I not think a penalty it's that simple. For Hugo Lloris is not a penalty. That's true. That And that's the inconsistency <laughs> that I think is so aggravating. But regardless, Tony steps up. He's ice cold from the spot. He buries it 2-1. And at that point, I think people may be starting to sweat a little bit. Uh, the Everton of the recent past would have, of course, let this get to their head. But fortunately, we were able to respond and really kind of shut them out from that point forward by and large. And Pickford was just had such nervy moments. I think otherwise yeah. people would have been fine because I didn't think Brentford was overly dangerous. He had that that, you know, when they clear the corner out and they Tony 
toe poke on that ball over the top. I mean, pick came out on that. That was kind of strange. Um, but the good part was we weren't nervous for very long, thankfully. No, you know, in the 62nd minute, next thing you know, Everton have a corner and steps up, I guess, you know, Damari Grace swings in the corner, Sorensen, whatever he's trying to do, whether he's trying to flick it out, et cetera, he ends up just flicking it to Mason Holgate, who honestly, I got to give him huge credit. You know, I, I have to give him huge credit. His reactions on that flick on were really good because Sorensen, Sorensen was close. Um, the way that he was able to respond to it. But, I mean, we're talking about the fact that we haven't been able to score or defend a set piece, let alone, you know, we have up to that point through halftime, right? We said they had like four corners. Through that point, we had been stellar defensively on corners, and we have now two goals Unbelievable, right? by the 62nd minute. And, and I think I think it was rumored that Paul Clement was 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 coming in and definitely helping with, with corners and throw-ins. And, and I saw someone mention on Twitter that, it was given away by the fact that he only stood up off the bench when we had a set piece. I'm not sure uh, if you guys have heard any similar thoughts or not. That's next level spy I, job I right there, man. If someone pointed that out, <laughs> God, God bless them. But, but you know what's the nicest part about this is, though? We just closed it out. Like, like they really didn't do much after this. I mean, they really didn't. I mean, there was a bunch of sequences where I thought we looked good. I mean, Gordon played Mikalinko in at one point. He couldn't find Richarlison, but it just kind of kept going. You know, it was a lot of half chances, but I felt like we were in command. Um, finally, we made some subs though. God, we waited till the 73rd minute with that match on Tuesday. The second we scored there, I'm thinking, get Richarlison off the pitch. And maybe it was a little early for that. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of curious what you guys thought in terms of who, you know, we sub Gordon and, and Mikalinko out Townsend and John Joe Kenny came in, which is a little bit odd. I'm curious what you guys thought about their matches today. Let's start with Mikalinko. Um, Patrick Boyland at Patty Boylan tweeted this out. Others will take plaudits, but much more assured Mikalinko this afternoon did everything asked of him and more. What did you guys think about Vitaly's match today? I thought he was really good defensively. I liked his reactions. I think that it seemed, you know, overall he was able to press kind of like um, with the team in, in the same kind of thought process and organized in that way. So it seems like at least his tactical ac- acumen is, is is decent to say the least. I did feel like in the offense it was it was lacking for sure. I mean, you know, I I'm sorry, but I can't let go. I almost I was about to tell you guys earlier. I almost have to follow Lucas unfollow Lucas Dean on Twitter because I'm tired of seeing him in a in a, a claret and blue kit. But overarching point is that you know. I think we really, really miss Lucas Dean's offensive output. I didn't really see it from Mikalinko. I'm not necessarily seeing the pace that I want to see from him, but I think he is. Still yeah, I mean, look, we know he's not the fastest what about you, James? guy in the world, but I thought he was really composed today, especially you contrast it with, you know, his past couple appearances. Um, he seems to be getting more comfortable. 86% pass success. He had a key pass um, in terms of his contributions on defense and interception, a clearance one for one in tackles. So he didn't have to do a whole lot in terms of one-on-one defending, but especially with the three center halves, it allowed him a little more freedom to get up and down. And I know Ryan mentioned the the cross that he had that missed. Um, look forward to seeing how he continues to adapt his game. And he's in a tough spot being really our only first team left back. John Joe Kenny coming in for him it seemed like and playing on the left side was a, a bizarre decision but um i, I like the performance from Mikolenko. i hope that it's just kind of building blocks for him and he's gonna take time we know we downgraded at left back it's gonna be a while before he's up to even close to the levels of luca dean if he can ever even achieve them but i was pleased with what i saw from him today he is what he thought we thought he was you know i mean denny green style he, he was and look we nailed it on the pod. I mean, I'm sorry. That's what happens when you watch a guy extensively. And I really watched him a lot for multiple years. 
But the one thing I did like about him is I think he's going to be benefit. I think he's going to benefit playing this way. I mean, no, he's not going to be flying up and down the left side. That is not his style. He's much more measured. He did get forward a couple times, but he did it within the context of the offense. And I will say this. You're right. He took care of the ball. He's a really smart player. He's cerebral. He's thoughtful. Keeping Tony offside was a total blunder, though, but that's going to take time and you're playing with different players and he's not really a wingback. So I think that's that's a little bit problematic. I mean, he was coming back almost farther than you would expect someone in that role. But I like the fact that he's thoughtful. He takes care of the ball and he's a good decision maker that, that, that I think those are good things. Ultimately, it's not his fault that we overpaid for, you know, and, and you bring that up and that that kind of brings me to a certain thought. You know, we talked about it. Uh, months ago, we saw for some reason, I'm, I'm going to reference our, our previous manager, um, Rafa Benitas. Uh, essentially, we saw him, he would hold Le- Lucas Dean back on defense, and then he would always allow Seamus Coleman to bomb forward, right? Odd decision. We were like, well, we feel like their skill sets are kind of flopped for that if you're going to do that. Overarching point is, it's kind of interesting that the two fullbacks that we signed both have different strengths. Mikalinko is very much defensive, whereas Patterson, for example, we know he can go flying up and down the pitch. He has good interchange with the central midfielders and the forwards, um, and he has a lot of energy and a lot of pace. So it could be interesting moving forward to see how they're, t- you know, they're two used based on their skill sets. Maybe, maybe at some point, at some setup, we see Mikalinko used as a more defensive setup to let Patterson kind of exploit his attacking. Um, his attacking fervor, and, and and maybe that gives us a little more defensive. I mean, he definitely wanted the when ability he does to go attack forward. on either side, so it's a good point, Alex. Um, my concern, though, I think it's disappointing that you played wingbacks and you didn't play Patterson. You know, I thought that was a little disappointing to me. But but anyway, uh, what about Anthony Gordon? I mean, again, I, there was a little bit of a lack of end product at times, but his pace was a problem for Brentford. Uh, he looks, he's just looking more and more confident on the ball. Him and Gray have basically the same problem right now. Gordon just needs to get his head up sometimes. But otherwise, I mean, he's just growing and growing, and it's wonderful to see. Yeah, they've both got this hunger to make things happen. And you saw Anthony Gordon, you know, we mentioned it earlier when he was cutting inside, driving with the ball at his feet. It's only a matter of time before he really continues to his rise to prominence in the Premier League and in the English game in general. And I think that's something all Evertonians are well and truly behind. That's one of the only positives we take from the previous manager is the deemed time and development that we saw from Anthony Gordon. And let's hope that this, again, is not uh, is a continuation of that and that he can forge onward. I thought he was decent today, as you said, maybe could have got his head up a few more times. But his willingness to try different things and be uh, ambitious is something that I hope Lampard continues to encourage and we continue to, to see him uh, improve. Yeah, the JPG thing, not even subbing him on at this point, I thought was a little strange. If you're going to use those two, Andre and Alon, going forward, maybe they're going to look to loan him. I mean, the international window might still be up. I mean, and then they waited till the 88th to make the other subs. Um, and, and you know, those subs were interesting. That At that point, Gray and Richarlison come out in the 88th. Now, that's a long time to let them play. Um, maybe it wasn't requiring that much energy, I guess, at the time, because we had the ball as more. I, I don't know what to say interesting seeing Tosin and Awobi coming in I, I uh, <laughs> boozy blues uh, made the comment on the discord we used our subs so I mean at least we I guess the positives we actually use them that's true um but yeah that that's too late for me I mean what's going on with JPG we think I, I thought this was a chance to see him here's here's I guess my thoughts on JPG because I know on this show all of us I think have gone on record that we'd really like to see him he's really the only natural set we have 
you said it at the top. If this isn't the type of game that he's going to get minutes, I don't see when else we would possibly play him. And for me, the fact that Lampard seems to have no interest in including him, though he was, of course, on the bench and available, it makes me think that maybe it is just the fact the guy was injured for two years. He just might not be the same player that he was. And he would not be the first player to have their career derailed by injuries. I know, Ryan, you uh, said, and you're right, the advances in medical science have made it so typically these sorts of injuries and Achilles and a serious quad injury aren't death sentences for a player's career. But I also think you'll look at what the type of player he was and the fact that he can't now get a game. And the simplest explanation is that the injuries have reduced his athletic ability or his capability and that these managers, unless like all these managers just don't like him and don't rate him. Well, I mean, there, there, there was issues with rehab and, and some yeah, I mean, issues, questions of attitude and stuff. So, I mean, that could be still lingering around and Duncan was part of those things and he's still here. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, or they're saving him to play as more the backup six in a, in a three man midfield, or, or maybe we'll just see him roll right into the lineup on Tuesday, man. I mean, who the heck knows? Alex, I you hope so. something? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't have any, any, any more speculation to offer, but I will say that I'm taking all of this into context in terms of who our manager is. And that's one of England's best midfielders, or most people would tell you that. So when you have a player, like when you have a guy, a coach like that, who has had the career that he's had, who performed the way that he performed, it is interesting. It will be interesting moving forward to see how he uses the midfielders. And also, yeah, and we're missing two guys today, obviously that were unveiled at halftime that are going to feature. So that'll be very interesting to see how he bakes those guys in. I don't think it'll be similar to the, the way it was tonight. You can't play two of those guys, obviously, that deep. So that, that'll be that'll be very interesting. Now, the nice part was the subs came in and made an immediate impact, even though the match is totally over. Um, but I, I love the movement again, you know, Alon dropping it into Jank. Alon was really impressive today with the ball it's great pass you know and, and the nice part about that the second it happened Townsend starts his run Awobi comes flying over Tosin makes a nice little play to flick it over to Alex Awobi Awobi you know the playmaker he is extraordinaire in the box flicks it back to Townsend and I will say this I love Townsend's finish here he's looking straight at the left post and hits it dead right I mean totally freezing the keeper loved it and he cracks it I mean his left foot is fantastic um what I really like too is he immediately went and pointed to a Wobie. Everyone knows a Wobie gets, you know, all sorts of grief from Goodison. I mean, it just, look, Andros Townsend is not going to fit in very well. I think in a possession based attack like this, but, but he's hard to dislike. I mean, what a character he plays so hard. And look, man, when you look back at the second half, the second half, 57% possession, 84% passing. The movement was good. We looked dangerous. And this was just a capper. And I think it was deserved. And it was so exciting to see Frank Lampard still going crazy on a goal in the 94th minute to make it 4-1. He seemed to just revel in the crowd going nuts in the thrashing that we put on Brentford. And as you said, Ryan, I loved seeing Iwobinho get involved with just that simple Final third play that really has made him a success in his career, the creativity. Um, I, initially, I thought it was a back heel, but it's really just like a simple flick on, basically, to Townsend. And as you said, the look away finish, I thought he was going far post, and he just thrashes it near. No chance for the keeper. 4-1 victory, and that takes us to the final whistle. And as you said, 57% possession in the second half, 84% passing, comprehensively dominant. And the manager, with some... Post-match comments that I think were a really nice change of pace and a great way to endear himself even further to the Everton faithful. Yeah, I mean, the whole, 
Yeah, he went on to say, essentially, we all hear about the Goodison effect and we all felt it the way the players played. And then the fans obviously bought into it. Um, he said similar things uh, consistently across a couple interviews. Um, and, and, you know, I will say like a very refreshing thing about Frank Lampard is he comes off genuine, also humble and also relatable too. all things that I think, you know, Everton fans were kind of feeling disassociated from, obviously. Um, and then we also had, you know, he said it was visible that we were supporting each other. Um, we had options in, in possession. Uh, I know he said beforehand, I think maybe in his program notes, the Everton team must be aggressive, must sprint, et cetera. Like Rafa said, but, but he's right. I mean, that, that, you know, he, he's smart. He's not a dummy. He knows at a minimum Everton as a team. And he said this himself, you know, have to be aggressive. They have to run hard, that type of thing. Um, yeah. Ellis Nordhoff at Ellis Nordhoff on Twitter. I think this sums it up really well. Front foot attacking football with maximum effort. Great start to the Frank Lampert era. This is Everton. This is what we're all about. And to an extent, he's right. You know, I, I was very, I was encouraged not just by the effort, but by the composure on the ball. But look, we scored four goals for heaven's sakes. The last time we did that was the Spurs crazy FA match in February 10th of last year in extra time, that crazy five to four thing. I mean, that's other than that, we had a couple, you know, crazy games at the beginning of that season. It has been a long time since we knocked four, four through. That's a massive difference and we just kept coming you know kept the ball and finished it off well that was encouraging and we don't have the xg i'd really love to see it i'm sure someone will come out with the number but it's tough for fa cup matches not a lot of people do it but it did feel like we were by far and away the better side and not just scoring four um dribbling we talked about it at the top a lot more ball carrying we've not uh really been doing that at all this season besides a couple guys who have given been given the freedom to attack with the ball at their feet, 17 of 21 in dribbles, 17 successful dribbles. The second most we've had all year uh, besides, I believe the Brighton match, but also going back to last year, 17 would have been second most that entire season. So clearly there is a change in instructions from management that paid huge dividends on the pitch today. The only bad about that was that that Damari Gray, and by the way, the announcer called him Andre Gray. I just wanted to mention that. He, he, he listens to ATP for sure. He, he probably does. Uh, well, he wouldn't have said so many ridiculous things if he does. But anyway, um, and I hope he listens to it after this one because he's getting a nice little lashing. Uh, my only issue with Damari was he didn't create a lot from open play. A couple times he got his head down and really kind of went for goal. I thought Richarlison did that a little bit too. Frank needs to know that about Damari though, and he's got to make sure that he makes the game simple for him so we can get the best out of him I was very encouraged by the defense by the way and again we talked about the impact of having possession and what it has on a defense but look Brentford had four shots total only one from open play and look Brentford doesn't shoot a lot I think they have the second highest xg per shot and look modern football tells you uh, analytics wise to not take the longer shot it's a bad idea don't shoot from distance and Brentford is the consummate analytic club but the bottom line is they only shot four times and they were never really overly dangerous and really once from open play. I mean, the defense was great and a lot of it had to do with one thing. So I think we got to give a lot of credit to Alon and Andre Gomes for just dominating the midfield today. And I think it's that simple. Yeah, it was one of those days where it was very easy across the fan base to pass the eye test. Love I it. used air quotes there um, for you guys. But we had a couple we had a couple of folks, Jack William five at Jacko Wills 22. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's the most passes our two central midfielders have played I think my to each other all season. Yeah, I think the response to that too, Alex, was, it's certainly the first time all season, I could be wrong, but off the top of my head, where the two central mids had the most touches, and by a mile. 
You know what I mean? There's no way we had that in any other match. Oh, yeah. And, and maybe had it a couple times last year, but not, not that often. Sorry to interrupt because I like the second quote too. Yeah, no, no, no. It's been mostly our CBs, I think, in past matches, especially this season. And then Everton, aren't we? said we go out and sign two players who can pass the ball. And then a few days later, Gomez and Alon turn into Jesus. Jesus or just like one of them's Jesus. One of them's on Paul. Are you making a Holy Trinity reference just Gomez. Here? Because you've got the wrong Trinity, buddy. I don't know. I don't really know where I was going with that one, but it was uh, great to see the incredible performance from both Andre and Alon, two players who look, we had criticized or I guess just critiqued their performances in the, previous manager setup, but this is without a shred of a doubt, a way more favorable style of play for both of those players. And frankly, most of our central midfielders in general, um, and really good to see someone like Andre Gomez, who came on and made a couple good substitute appearances, but really dictate and, and control a game from start to finish. The one theme you will see, I think with Frank is there are times, even when he's playing the three man midfield where he would play someone who's a little bit more of an attacking player or, or the midfield combination would be a little more attacking than you might expect. So it wouldn't be if we're playing a weak team. So I would not think it's crazy for a team that may concede possession to us a little bit to see a daily alley and Van de Beek together. I, again, I've, I've already made known my, my feelings on Van de Beek as, as more of an eight. You know, I, I don't think it's his best position. We're getting the most out of him. But he can do it in in attack. He's just a little reckless on defense, similar to Andre. But I, I think he's a little bit better. But he's not the same player. But in that way, he's similar. But look, I mean, both those guys led the team in touches, but really didn't lose the ball that much. I mean, Andre had two bad touches, two times dispossessed. Alon had three bad touches, but that's not that bad if you think about it. Because Alon had the key assist on the second goal. Andre was two for two in long balls. I mean, his carrying the ball was impacting the match right and left. And really, it's kind of funny when you look in the numbers. Can you believe Richarlison had 10 bad touches? I mean, that's it almost, but that's no, like, I would not, allow the negativity I would not have watched the game. And I mean, maybe if you think about how we were playing and some of the risks they take in pushing the line up on him, maybe because the second he got the ball, I mean, they swarmed him like crazy. Yeah. Um, but that, that, I mean, it almost doesn't seem right. So I'm kind of curious what the final numbers would be. On yeah, that. It almost it feels like it has to be a typo because he was swarmed and he really, his movement was so critical, but I still, you know, clearly would have been it's nice to have Dominic Calvert-Lewin still available up there. there. I mean, it's just, if it's 10, I mean, that's a ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. That's, that's it's crazy. Be but he, even despite that, I still feel like he had a good game because he was so relentless with his ability to pressure. Even when he's not actually impactful with the ball, the threat that he poses forces defenses to address him in various different ways. Yeah, his movement's incredible. We talked about it. The timing on his runs is superb. He's caught offside a couple times, but a really strong performance from him leading the line. And then, I mean, Yerry Mina coming in off the subs bench unexpectedly early on and was assured, composed, and everything we'd want from our center half uh, throughout the match. The only other number that really stuck out was the whole gate with, again, 13 long balls. Someone, swear to God, tape his right leg to his body or something. At least he completed eight of them. But, God, he's got to stop doing that. I mean, that. that's good. He's getting better. Stop it. No, he's not. He's just the last person you want on that. Right. Back yeah. Line, why? Like why? Going I mean, for a long ball, right? Yeah. Like and the bottom and line is that so I think, better. you know, the second half of the match, we really took over. We didn't see as much of it. And some of it's just clearances. So I'm not, I'm not, that could be a lot of it. He was being more aggressive on that side and winning balls and attacking it. And so that, that was good. The one thing I will say though, is think about this. Think about, we play that way with that kind of control, regardless of who's in midfield. And you've got Richarlison 
and Dominic Calvert-Lewin leading the line instead of Richarlison, and Richarlison getting the ball in dangerous positions like where Gray was as well, and then bring Gordon off the bench with legs like that and applying pressure. I mean, Gordon had a, had a pressure in like late in the second half where the center half was not ready for his pace and surprised him and won the ball cleanly. And you're thinking like, wow, we might be on to something, but the key is controlling the ball in the midfield. And that's why I'm hopeful. The one good thing about Frank is I'm hopeful that we can beat the teams we should with these setups. You know what I mean? That we can get on the ball and dominate. And look, it's not going to be perfect, but that's the key. We need to string together some three points against teams that we need to beat and we'll be safe and fine. But it does give us a platform to go forward. I just the Godfrey injury is the one negative. So um, we had some good comments for final words. I think um, I think overall it was a positive. But uh, I you know I loved some of the comments in the Discord too. The discussion was really good but balanced. Um, so that's why you know we took a couple from there, which I was happy to see. Yeah, we didn't do our traditional post match reaction um, tweet. So apologies for that. I had to go out and clean my car off with like three inches of ice. Instead of doing that, but anyway, oh my we had God. pull from it, our well, Discord. Is that your way to get sympathy from people because it's cold yeah. where you live? It's it's cold and we got like three inches of sleet yesterday, man. Come on. You guys in Virginia don't know what that's all about. You don't know the hardship, the struggle Wham. of the winters in Maine. Wham. Anyway. I'm going to kick Ryan from the episode. <laughs> Poll on the Discord said, very solid football. Only issues, in my opinion, were Godfrey and Pickford back were Godfrey and Pickford back to his shaky self. He went on to say, I've honestly not been this completely satisfied with a manager when it comes to the type of person they need to be for the club. This is in response to someone who posted Frank's post-match interview. Let's hope he can match it with results and consistency. And then we had Lyndon Lloyd at EFC Lyndon on Twitter with this tweet, which I think sums up the last couple years of Everton managerial appointments nicely. He said, Carlo had a been there, done it all dignity on the touchline. Benitez was all business. Don't show much emotion, stoicism. Allardyce, he who shall not be named, on the occasions we won, just came across as smug. Who doesn't love a tracksuit manager reacting like this with excitement at a goal? Find it hard to disagree. That's actually, yeah, no, that, you know, that's actually a really good point. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about, you know, the differences and how they kind of appear, but um, it is always exciting. And I, I think, I think Frank definitely did it. I, th- I think he had an intent to do it, to pump up the crowd, which is completely fine. And I'm glad he is, uh, but hopefully more to continue because maybe, maybe he'll go and uh bear hug a ball. You boy, know, the funny like part is done. that as much as I, I, I was not in favor of the hiring process and the candidates, I thought were fairly underwhelming. And Frank included the one thing that people kept saying was repeatedly is that, look, people will get behind him. And, uh, and I, I do agree with that and you could see it today, you know, and, and people are positive and, as much as it boggles my mind how people tend to overreact, in my opinion, on just a simple win uh, in a cup match, um, it was nice to see. And I think what was probably the most genuine thing was the manager, how he's speaking and carrying himself. I feel like that's a stronger uh, identity. It matches what I think and what we think the identity of the club should be. And I think that energizes fans. It's nothing we have sa- haven't said before, but that's the whole point. To play football in a way where someone looks at and be like, that is how Everton should play. I like that. Be enthused by it. Hear your manager reflect that and carry himself with some dignity. I mean, I just, I mean, the first, the next time Rafael Benitez ever admits he's wrong in a press conference will be the first time. And Frank, I guarantee you, is going to be somewhat humble at times. And the thing is, he doesn't need to be humble. That guy was a stud of a player. 
And unlike the other guy across the park, who was also a stud, he actually played hard in MLS. Anyway, moving on. Uh, but no, I mean, look, I, I'm concerned that we're going to get vertically stretched out. I think there's some issues with the squad. We all know it. But that was an encouraging win today, of course. Yeah. And then you look at, I mean, I saw the clip uh, that Everton posted on their Twitter after the final whistle. Lampard going to every player, giving them a hug, cheering on the fans, going to both ends and giving them the, you know, up up the enthusiasm. It just really feels like a nice, clean, fresh start that we can finally, hopefully build a foundation for the long term. Whether Frank, Frank's going to stumble. There's going to be blocks. This was a as good a start as you could possibly have. Let's hope it continues and that this is just the first of many wins of the Lampard era. But anyway, we didn't do uh, Ryan. Go ahead. You've got some something. One question I have is, do you guys see the formation changing going forward on Tuesday? That came up in the space earlier today. And I asked that very same question. I think that's really interesting. I think with everyone available, we would see him go back to a four, two, three, one, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So maybe we'll see at least on Tuesday, a similar style. Alex, what do you think? I think it's definitely just dependent on personnel available. I mean, so like Decorey is going to be out, but I think we know like DCL has a outside chance you know, to be able to in- be included in the squad on Tuesday, but that probably suggests he won't, he's not going to be intention to start or in contention to start. Uh, so I mean, I wouldn't be, I would not be opposed to him sending up like this again, but I, I would not be in favor of it for the long did he, term. Did he take notes from Thomas Tuchel after he left and saw the amazing improvement when he switched to the back five and he's wow. trying to carry that? Wow, that's strong. Uh, well, oh, I, no. I will say this. I mean, you got to think about who's your opponent. Uh, your opponent is Newcastle. And although Newcastle has shown a little bit more ability to maybe hold the ball against Watford, they're not a good possession based team. They'll sit behind it. So if that's the case, Maybe we do stay with these guys. I, I put it this way. We saw in training that it was Alon and Andre in, in a twin pivot in some fashion. Now, I'd be a little surprised if he stuck with the 3-4-3 three, three very much too often. Um, I think three up top makes sense with us. I, I'd like to see that continue. My guess is Frank eventually will revert to uh, 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3. But I could see a 4-2-3-1 with Andre and, and Alon in the back and maybe Deli Ali pushed up a little bit higher. Um I'm concerned about the numbers then behind them and reverting back to that issue where we've got kind of that gap. But again, if you've got the ball that much, it doesn't seem to be as much of a problem. I I don't know. Uh, It'll be very interesting to see how it goes forward. But the bottom line is we need to win Tuesday. We absolutely do. And we will, of course, be with everyone following that match. Now, before we go today, really quickly from both of you, I'm going along, man of the match. Are either of you disagreeing? I'm going to go Gomez. I think he was really instrumental with, uh, you know, in terms of how we needed to play. He's definitely a possession-based um, player. He showed out, you know, and I also think it's it was important for him to have a good match under the new manager too, or a good match in general. It's been a while since we've really seen him looking comfortable and, and, and you know, essentially I mean, For me, there's only role. one guy. I mean, no one else produced more per minute than Alex Awobi. So as far as I'm concerned... <laughs> No, sorry. Uh, no, in all reality, the, the two center mids were the stars of the match today. You know, they, they did a very good job with it. Richarlison, the unsug hero. Um, boy, Mina made a big difference. Alon. I got to go with Alon. I mean, I can't. I mean, Andre still had his moments where he just kind of lost people and whatnot. Um, and while it was encouraging to see him do well, I am not distracted by his stylish uh, approach and his good looks. Uh, Alon was the grinder today. I think he gets my man of the match. Fair enough, Ryan. Thanks to everyone for listening. We very much appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, if you could subscribe and leave us a rating and or review on your podcast platform of choice, 
helps us out a whole lot. If you want to find us on social media, you can find all of those links at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. That's linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. It will be in the description of the episode. Otherwise, we'll be with you on Tuesday following the match against Newcastle. As Ryan said, a must, must win. Going to be huge. Looking very much forward to it after today. And until next time, up the toffees.